first reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It will be found on page 280 in the Pew Bibles. 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroma, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penaniah. Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Milkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, the rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why do you eat? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord, and she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only lock Look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favour in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. The second reading is found in 1 Samuel chapter 2, reading from verses 1 to 11. And this follows the dedication of Samuel can be found on page 281. Hannah's Prayer Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted up high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. 
the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons finds a way. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. For the foundations of the, of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Well, good morning, everybody. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So ends the book of Judges, uh, of which 1 Samuel, it seems, follows straight on from. In those days, Israel had no king. The book of Judges is about judges who are raised up to lead God's people. And when there's a judge, things go well because the people are under God. But as soon as the judge dies, the people uh, ignore God, forget God, and God hands them over to their enemies. So, of course, they cry out and God raises up a judge. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. Um, but it almost seems to be the history of God's people. Uh, right back from Abraham, who has his failings, it seems that as much as they are called to trust God and to live under God, they fail. Even when God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt, calls them to be his nation, marries them, you might say, at Mount Sinai, they still fail to trust God and live under him, even with the commandments. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. I wonder whether we could say in these days Australia has no God. Everyone does whatever he wanted or wants. You can marry who you like. You can define your gender how you like. You can end life when you like. Either in the womb or when you're a little bit older and unwell. Character and virtues, they don't matter. As long as you have a good-looking body, that's for both men and women. No God, we can do what we like, as long as we don't offend a vocal minority. And now we come to the book of 1 Samuel. At a time when people just do whatever they want, Hannah shows herself to be different, faithful to God. As we've heard, she's in a place of great sadness, feeling alone, 
and unable to fulfill her purpose in life. She faces what I think of as the great social media storm of the day, a second wife who mocks and taunts her because she can't fulfill the purpose to which she believes she's been called. Do we feel the same in Australia today? Here we are called as God's people, called to live with Jesus as our King, called to make disciples of nations, and yet feeling like if we open our mouths, we will just be mocked, taunted, picked on, or ignored. I was only reading yesterday of our Polynesian brothers and sisters who at the moment are watching the whole case with Israel Folau over his rugby contract, worried. See, they believe the same thing he believes. Yet they're looking and thinking, well, he just spoke the truth and look what's happened to him. Can we speak? What's going to happen if we try and speak? There seems to be that fear, doesn't there? You see, as a church, of course, we had a great position in society. We were honoured, we were respected, we were listened to, we were were asked for advice. But now that's not the case. People don't want to hear what we've got to say. Uh, In fact, they want to ignore us. I wonder whether Hannah was in a similar situation. She knows God, she loves God. But here she feels like, if I speak about God, What's going to happen to me? How does she respond in her torment? Well, today I actually want to focus in on the prayer in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Because when we see and hear her pray, I think we see right into her very heart of how she really trusts God. And I hope that this will lift us above the feeling we may have in our society to see how God actually is working. So to begin with, where does Hannah start? She starts by praising God. Let's listen to the start of her prayer in chapter 2. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. What a prayer. But I feel like it's a prayer that that doesn't understand the reality of what's just happened. Uh, To remind us again of the story, uh, Hannah is married to a guy by the name of Elkanah. Now Elkanah and Hannah were unable to have a child. So it seems reasonable to actually think that maybe Elkanah went, well, I need a child. So what do you do when you can't have a child? You get a second wife. And so he marries Peninnah. And it seems that where Hannah was unsuccessful, Peninnah, it just seems that Elkanah walks on past and somehow she falls pregnant again. And so she has many sons and daughters and Hannah still has none. But if, if I'm right in saying that Hannah is the first child, uh, first wife, Peninnah does not feel like she has the same position as Hannah. And so even though she's got lots of children, she still picks on and torments and has a go at Hannah. In a way that only a jealous person could, it seems. 
Now, I can't help but wonder whether Elkanah actually adds to this. He looks at his wife that he loves and he thinks, oh, not doing so well, all right, have a double portion to sacrifice. I don't think a bit of extra meat is really going to help with the situation, Elkanah. But then he seems to go further. He sees Hannah's a bit upset, but he seems a bit oblivious. Don't I mean more to you than ten children? It's like he's God's gift to women. Guys, if we haven't figured it out, and I know I need to hear this sometimes, we're not. He fails to understand the depth of desire that Hannah has to have a child. Something that is really deep with inside her. You know, I'm convinced as I look at our society that there is that depth in so many women but our world just doesn't get it because it continues to promote careers over family. Hannah feels this pain. She weeps before God. Peninnah, she uses it to her advantage. Her questioning of Hannah is not just almost a jealousy, but she uses it to have a go at her faith, I think. I know of people who've struggled to fall pregnant and who've received similar lines. If only you had enough faith in God, surely it would happen. Or maybe they've said something like, If you were really following God, if you were really loving each other as a husband and wife, it'll happen. It's insensitive. I'm sure they're well-meaning people. But Peninnah really voices it well. And it's mean and it's nasty. And sometimes our world falls into this trap as social media seems to be this, oh, I didn't really say it, but yes, you did. But what about Hannah? How does she respond? She prays. She pleads with her God. In fact, she goes so far, she makes a vow. Verse 11 of chapter 1, she says, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. She makes an incredible vow, doesn't she? Could you imagine making that vow about your children if you have children or grandchildren? Could you imagine praying something like, Dear God, please take my child and use them for your purposes? If it be your will, may they be a missionary on the mission field. Do we pray that for our children and grandchildren? Would you be willing for them to go overseas in service of God? To maybe even die for their faith? I think a lot of us probably pray that things go well, that life goes well that they get a good job, that they might settle down and marry, that hopefully they're a Christian. I wonder if we set the sights too low. 
Would we pray that they become missionaries? I know I'm scared to pray that sort of prayer. I felt rebuked as I've looked at this passage and thought, do I think that way? Hannah shows us up. I wonder whether we worship our kids too much. We make them the centre of our lives rather than God. See, Hannah shows the problems with our world in her prayer. If I go back to chapter 2, pick it up with me in verse 3. Let's see the problems of this world where we see Hannah says, Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. See, these verses, I think, show the efforts of humans. But it almost seems like a random effort. Let's try this one or this one or this one and hopefully one will work. Talking proudly, doing deeds, thinking strength comes in our military might or achieving financial wealth. And in the end, all of them reversed. Just like the last one that I didn't read yet. The end of verse 5. But she who was barren has borne seven children. She who has had many sons pines away. Surely we can only see that as a reflection on Hannah and her circumstance. Did Hannah actually have seven children? I'm not 100% sure. Maybe it's that concept of perfection, of having a child. For her, it was significant. She compares herself to the wife who had many and yet still can't help but pick on her. Couldn't sympathise and instead bullied her. She saw an opportunity and used it to her advantage rather than sitting with Hannah. But Hannah, she doesn't rub it in. In fact, she recognises that blessings come from God. It's not her work or her efforts to believe more or even how much do we know, how many medical things can we find out to make it happen. No, it's God and God alone who works. Pick it up with me in verse 6 of chapter 2. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He sets them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. God alone does all these things. Hannah lifts her eyes beyond the world in which there is no king and everybody does whatever they think is right to see that it's actually God who is working. Here she is in the face of personal turmoil, unable to have a child, and yet she can see God at work. In fact, she blows our minds, doesn't she? I don't know how she did it. How did she, after she had prayed for this child, then go up to the temple when she had weaned him, so just still a little boy, and hand him over to Eli the priest to raise him? Eli the priest who had accused her of being drunk when she was pleading before her God. Eli the priest, as we'll find out in the next few weeks, 
whose sons are not just disobedient but evil and wicked. If anybody has a track record of raising kids, it's not Eli. And yet Hannah has this amazing faith that trusts God, that looks to God and his purposes. She knows God makes those or brings death and makes alive. Our world might think that abortion and euthanasia is okay. Again, I think it's overreaching. It's God who brings poverty and wealth. We may live in a very wealthy country, but have we forgotten where it comes from? We forget, I think, the true source of our wealth and just how easily it could be taken away. In fact, in eternity, there is no distinction between rich and poor, between princes and paupers. We will all sit down at God's table and rejoice in him. And I think actually Hannah in her final part of her prayer looks into something that surely she cannot know. What does she say? Pick it up at the last bit of verse 8. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I think Hannah speaks here of something that she does not see. There is no king in Israel. And yet she looks forward to a day of a king. In fact, Samuel appoints the first two kings of Israel, Saul, not a good guy, David, who was meant to be the man after God's own heart, and yet still falls short. Samuel will have a role in God's plans, but nothing will succeed until we get to the eternal king, ultimately Jesus. At the coming of that eternal king, God will thunder his judgment, but he does it on his son. God will anoint his king, who he raises from death to life. And the horn of victory will sound on that great and glorious day. See, Hannah looks into the near future, but I think in what she says here, she doesn't know it, but she's pointing to the eternal king in Jesus. And we live waiting, don't we? Waiting for that final revelation to come, waiting for Jesus to return. And so as we live, I want us to look to the example of Hannah as we deal with the issues in our world. Just to name a few of them, social media. I love our brother, Israel, for standing up for the truth. But I can't help but wonder if his way of doing it has actually been seen as just total judgment. Did Hannah do that? We don't seem to get any hint that Hannah judges Peninnah in terms of what she says. Although she does say at the end of verse 1 in her prayer, and I don't know if you picked it up, for my mouth boasts over my... Sorry, not for, let me try again. 
My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. See, even if we don't speak in judgment, people will perceive us as boasting and judging them because we live differently. Hannah delights in God's deliverance. That's where her focus is. It's totally on God. Yes, she wept. Yes, she was sad. Peninnah was mean and cruel and nasty. But she comes back to her God and trusts in him and him alone. Her faith is in him, even in her sadness. And so too should our boast be. Let's not judge others, but let's focus on the fact that we have been saved, delivered through Jesus' death and resurrection. So even if there is no God in Australia, God is still working. He's worked in us. He's brought us to be his children. So are you going to continue to trust the Lord? No matter what happens, do you trust God in this? He works as those who trust in the Lord recognize the blessing that life is. And rather than ending life early, ensure a baby is born. But do we take the next step of going, well, what about those who are struggling? How do we support and encourage those people who feel like they're not able to have a child? Do we trust God in this? He works as those who trust in God forgo financial security. Uh, would you be willing in this life, not maybe for yourself, but for your children, your grandchildren, to never own a house or a car? I wonder whether we have got so caught in that that our wealth has become almost our idol rather than fleeting and can be used to serve God. Do you trust God in this? He works as those who trust in the Lord continue to care for the old and the frail rather than seeing it as a how can we quickly end this so we don't have to deal with them. Go and visit and love and care. Do we trust God in this? He works as even though our leaders, our politicians, set themselves to rule in their own strength, he has defeated the far stronger enemy. Those in power are only there for God's purposes. The bows of the warriors, well maybe now, the keyboard warriors, those keys will be broken. The words may be there for quite some time, they have no real power. Do we trust God in this? See, I hope we can be like Hannah, who can exalt and praise her God, even though when she has a child, she only gives him back to God. Her praise, her exalting, how incredible. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Her heart rejoices in the Lord. Yes, we must deal with pain, but we must remember again and again that God is our strength 
He will deliver us. He has delivered us. He will thunder from heaven. We can leave justice to him. I don't know about you. I think Hannah should be one of our heroes of the faith. What an amazing woman. What a woman to honour. May we follow her example and trust God like she does. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are worthy of all glory, honour and strength. Father, how amazing the example of your daughter Hannah, who in spite of inner turmoil, trusts in you. Father, help us to trust in you like her. Help us to see the blessings you've given us. Help us to see you are working out your plans and purposes, that you have sent your Son, and that in him is our identity and security. Help us to look forward with great anticipation to that great and glorious final day when he returns and as the horn is sounded sounded with him as king. In Jesus' name, amen.